Let us open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and see what the Lord has called us to do for Him in our lives by His mercy. He has saved us, and we should be working out that salvation with fear and trembling. And Romans chapter 12 begins the section of Romans that tells us how to do that. Let me remind you that in the first two verses we had a mandate of how Christians ought to live, and it was in general terms, and the specific details are given to us as we progress toward the end of the epistle. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is the mandate that's been given to us. It's calling for a living sacrifice. That means while we're alive, we sacrifice certain things in order to give God what He calls for. It means that we live a holy life and it's acceptable unto God because He is going to dictate the terms of what He accepts and He dictates the terms of what He does not accept. All in verse 1 and then in verse 2 were to be different from the world. The world's going to have an idea on how things ought to be done. They're going to have an idea of a work ethic or whatever other verse we come to in Romans 12 or the chapters that follow. And yet it is God that determines how we ought to live. And so we ought not to be conformed to be like the world, but we ought to be transformed to be like Him. And it's through the renewing of our mind, and that's why we need preaching, to remind us of what our mind ought to be thinking so that we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we have the word acceptable used again. Because it doesn't matter what you think. I don't care what you think is hard work. I don't care what you think is zeal. And it doesn't really matter what I think. It's what the Lord thinks. He doesn't care what you think is serving Christ or zeal or hard work. He defines the terms and he's pretty strict. He's stricter than our nation. He's stricter than our generation. He's stricter than the world. And we want to make sure that we measure ourselves by his standard and not by this world. The society that we live in doesn't believe in hard work. They believe in handouts. They believe in being lazy. They believe in short work weeks. The Lord doesn't believe in any of those things. And you're going to give an account to Him when you meet Him about how hard you work. You say, well, I believe in the mercy principle. Well, it doesn't apply here. You can't go excusing yourself that you're under mercy and that's why you're not very diligent. Because the Lord expects you to be diligent. He is a God of diligence. He worked six days. He didn't work three. He didn't work two. And he didn't work a part-time job. He worked six days. And he rested the seventh. He's a God of zeal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Remember what the Bible says. And so he is going to give us his will in these verses that follow the mandate of verses 1 and 2. And it may be a little sacrificial on your part as you get used to it. But you know what? It's a choice. If you believe the God that has been presented to you already this morning, it's easy to do what He asks. And it's already been prayed that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And if we recognize Him as the great Creator that He is, 
and the wisdom of the Bible that there is contained here, it should be easy for us to do these things. It should be exciting for us to do these things. Work is only painful when you have a bad attitude about it. Work is a wonderful thing, and your calling that God has fit you for, and the job He has put you in, is a blessing, and something to be thankful for, and something to get excited about. Because God's given you unique abilities, He's found a job for you that can use those abilities, and we ought to be excited about it. And this is how we walk with God and serve Him in the practical day-to-day aspects of the Christian life. Now, we dealt with the ministry and those offices and gifts in the church in verses 3 through 8, which you could summarize by saying humility is what was taught. Humility. If you have the gift of teaching, you shouldn't aspire to be a prophet. If you had the gift of giving, you shouldn't aspire to the gift of teaching. It was basically humility to accept what God has given in the way of a gift and grace to every man that has gifts and grace. Then in verses 9 and 10, which was last Lord's Day, we were taught sincerity, separation, and love. And now we come to the 11th verse. To get the whole sentence, for you to appreciate the apostle as he packs quite a bit together in short phrases, let's start with verse 10, and let's run down through verse 13. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. That is a commandment. That's an imperative command for us. Be kind and be affectionate to each other with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Now there we have a number of aspects of the good and acceptable and perfect will of God jammed together into one sentence. We're going to take one verse. I had wanted to cover verses 11 and 12, but they are quite different from each other, and it would stretch us too thin as we tried to cover six phrases, so we'll cover three. We're going to cover verse 11. And they, they do stick together in a certain way, which I hope I can show you. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Right. This is the living sacrifice. This is what is holy, and this is what ex- is acceptable to God. It is not, there is no denomination, there is no religion, there is no common book of prayer, or any other document that can help us know what is the living sacrifice, or what is holy, or what is acceptable to God, except His Word. And He's given it to us, and He's told it to us, and He's laid it out for us right here. This is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is what is acceptable to God. God does not want us going off into a commune and sitting around and reading the Bible. That is ungodly. That is wicked. That is of the devil. That is of the devil. It comes out of a church where there is every foul and unclean bird. That is the Roman Catholic monastic approach to life, and that is not Christianity. If you had enough money to sit around and read your Bible, you would be sinning to sit around and read your Bible. You are to be productive. God has called us to be productive. He's productive, and He expects us to be productive. 
Even in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam a job. A job to do every day, to dress and to keep the garden. Even though he was sinless, even though he had God, even though there were no other distractions, even though he could have walked and talked with God all day long, it was not good to be without a job, and it was not good to be without a woman. And with the two of those things, we can please God and do his good and acceptable and perfect will. This is our living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God. This is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, when you look at this string of phrases that we have in verses 10 through 13, they have semicolons between them which separate these thoughts, and there are not conjunctions joining them together, so we keep them somewhat separate. Yet, as we flow through verse 11, there is a connection that we'll make, but we're not going to limit ourselves to that connection. We want to expand it because God's law is exceeding broad. There is an expression that I'm going to use, and I hope that you can understand it a little bit. Inspired ambiguity is something that you will find in the Bible from time to time. Ambiguity is, I'm not sure exactly what it's referring to, because it could be meaning this, this, and that. And sometimes God has left it just that way, and we're going to be faithful to God's Word by explaining this, that, and this as well. We're going to get all the aspects that are there, not just a limited one, by connecting these three. If we connect the three of them together, then verse 11 is only about your employment. It's only about your job. You shouldn't be slothful on your job, but you should be diligent because you are fervent in spirit, doing heartily the things on your job as to the Lord in the third phrase. Do you understand that? Would that fit Colossians chapter 3? Would that fit Ephesians chapter 6? Putting those three together that way? Yes, it would. But since there's semicolons here, and there are no conjunctions joining them together, and since the rest of this list is not so connected to them, we're going to also separate them and apply these things to other parts of our lives. God has saved some poor, it is true. 1 Corinthians 1 and James 2 tells us that, but there's no virtue in being poor. The Roman Catholic Church can take a vow of poverty and a vow of celibacy when they enter the ministry, but that's not what God has called His people to do. God expects Christians to work hard and to have stuff. That's a Bible word. You can look it up later unless you don't, don't go to your online Bible tools right now. Bible Christians reject a monastic or a convent view of life. Monasteries where monks would gather together and pray in brown robes, you know, and raise a few vegetables and live off the land. That isn't what God's called us to do. God's called us to be productive, to live into society. We are not of this world, but we live in this world and we use this world. But we don't abuse it and we don't let it ensnare us. But Bible Christians reject that kind of a life. Even before man fell, and I've mentioned this, Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He had a job. Christians work hard for a number of reasons. One, it's to show virtue. And there are verses that teach this, and we're going to look at a few of them. Obviously, in one sermon, to cover three subjects, we're not going to deal very extensively with any one of them. But Christians work hard to show the virtue of Christ's followers. Because Christ's followers are hard workers like the Lord Jesus Christ was. The Lord Jesus Christ did not golf. The Lord Jesus Christ did not play video games. He didn't play round ball. The Lord Jesus Christ worked hard. 
He, the Bible specifically tells us in Mark chapter 6, he had no time for, it's an L word. It's an L-E-I-S-U-R-E word. He had no time for leisure. Because he, it was his meat to do the will of God. He was a worker. And we want to be workers like him. Christians work hard to show virtue. They work hard to live without charity. We don't want to take charity. You should always be wanting to give charity. You should never want charity. You should want to give charity. Accepting charity is no blessing. It's giving charity that's a blessing. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You should want to work hard to save up extra because the Bible tells you to save up extra. You want to leave an inheritance for your children. And if you have infirmed parents, you want to be able to support them. But good parents never need to be supported because they're leaving an inheritance after they have already taken care of themselves. We work hard to be able to give to others that may have a need. Not because they think they have a need, not because they want something, but because they have a real need. We want to be able to give to others. The Bible says all these things. And we work hard to support the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ by supplying its financial needs. Now this verse says in the first four words, not slothful in business. This is referring to your job, your employment, your professional calling. You are not to be slothful in doing it. What is slothful? What does the word slothful mean? It means to be slow like a sloth. What is a sloth? It's a slow animal of Central or South America that moves very, 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 very slowly. You ought to read some of the statistics about how slow it moves. And so we have the word sloth and we have the word slothful. It means to be guilty of physical or mental inactivity. Disinclination to action. You're not really motivated to action, to exertion or to labor. You're sluggish. You're idle. You're indolent. You're lazy. That's the definition of the word. And this short phrase used by the Holy Spirit is talking about Christians on the job. You know, we've been in Romans 1 through 11. We have, we have studied the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of representation by the second Adam. We have studied the doctrines of election. We've studied sanctification. But you know, we get to Romans chapter 12, and here we are talking about your jobs. Because you're going to work from 40 to 70 hours this next week, and the Lord wants to apply the Christian religion to you. He's worked on your behalf in the first 11 chapters. Now we work on His behalf. There's 168 hours in the week. He wants us to be productive. The Christian religion is not a religion of ease. It's not a religion of comfort. It's a religion of diligence and productivity. Lord, help us to see that and to humble ourselves before that. Both testaments of the Scriptures have a great deal to speak about this. We want to be workers. And brethren, it's not a burden. When the Lord's given you a calling, get excited about it. It's just like getting excited about your wife. It's a choice. It's like getting excited about what's on your plate for supper. It's a choice to be excited about it. If you didn't have that plate for two meals, I love to practice this in an earlier time in my life when I had children at home. If they didn't want to eat it the first time around, I could deny them a couple of meals and they would appreciate it the next time around. Because all it takes is a little bit of hunger. And you know if it's enough hunger, you'll eat your young. That's taught in the Bible as well, but not as a commandment. Only as history. But you know, we should be thankful. Right. 
We have jobs. Let's be thankful. We have good jobs. We have easy jobs, relatively. Let's be thankful and let's do our best at it. This is not a burdensome verse to you. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Get excited. We've got some new jobs starting tomorrow. The Lord timed this, brother. This is, this is sermon 121 out of this epistle. And you're sitting here for the first time and He's going to a new job tomorrow. Who's able to pull that off? The Lord is. And we want to be thankful and we want to be excited about our jobs. Let's just look at a few verses in the Bible to see about diligence. Proverbs chapter 6. Oh, you young men that are full of energy, and I don't want you to have much more than I do yet, but you young men that are full of energy, you'll want to be diligent. Whatever you do, do it with your might. Does the Bible say that? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. Is there something wrong with our hands as Christians? Is it only our soul and our spirit? No. Our hands are gifts from God, and He expects us to grab a hold of something and do it. Even ministers have grabbed a hold of a yoke, and once they grab a hold of that yoke, they are not supposed to look back at what they're leaving behind. They're supposed to only go in one direction. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, And whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. It's your calling. God has arranged in this universe for you to have a role that is more important than those stars that He counts by number and gives names to. He has given you a calling. Don't resent your calling. Don't wish you had a different calling. Be the best at your calling. It's exciting to be the best. It's competitive. The Lord's the best. Where, do you, where was the Lord ever second best? Where was the Lord ever average? He's the best. Apply yourself with all diligence. Why in Ecclesiastes 9.10 does it tell us that we should do with our might whatever our hands find to do? What sort of the hand finds to do? Do with thy might. For, do you know what the explanation is? Because once you die, you don't get to work. That is contrary to how most Christians think. I can't wait to die when I don't have to go to work. That isn't how Solomon reasoned under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's work while we're alive. Because there's going to be a day coming when my body's going to be in the ground and this, listen, there's quite a few simple machines and they're not very simple. They're pretty complex on our human bodies and we want to use them. That is what Solomon reasoned from in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. This is not a burden. This is a privilege to work. Oh, but if you hate your job, there is nothing more painful than having to get up in the morning. Except as a young man, I could back it all the way up to going to bed the night before. I did not want to go to bed the night before when I didn't appreciate work because I knew in my head, as soon as I lay down on that bed and go to sleep, the next conscious thought I'm going to have is I'm going to have to get up and go to work. You say, did you ever think, oh, don't ask me that question. Ask your neighbor. Yes. I can remember a little bit of folly like that in my very early life. Now, Dad tried to help get that out of me by coming into the room where Paul and I were sleeping when we were little boys, and it was pitch dark outside in the middle of the winter, and it was freezing cold, and it was time to go do our paper routes seven days a week, and I appreciate all that. But I want you to be excited about your jobs tomorrow. I want you to be saying to yourselves right now, I want you to preach, I want us to sing, I want us to worship, I want us to have fellowship, and I'm going to go home and I'm going to get ready to go be a Christian on the job tomorrow. I'm going to be the best. 
Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. That's another word for a slothful man. A sluggard is a slow-moving, lazy, indolent person. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, or pastor to preach to them, Romans 12, 11, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. You're going to be robbed because you don't get up when you should. Some of you get up very early. Because you don't get up when you should and you don't work like a man. And we want to be men for the Lord. Because He saved us to be men and women. Fathers and mothers. And the book of the, and the Bible talks about our diligence on our jobs. Look at chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. It is a blessing to be a young man. You have a new job. We're going to thank the Lord for it in the second service. I want you to be the best. You can work more, you can work all the hours they want to give you. I like that time and a half stuff. The Bible doesn't even talk about time and a half. That's one of the blessings of our country. Time at 40 hours a week. Don't get me too worked up right now, or we'll start talking about what kind of a part-time job 40 hours a week is. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 26, As vinegar to the teeth, not a pleasant feeling, and as smoke to the eyes, not very nice, so is the sluggard to them that send him. He's a disgrace. He's an irritant. He's a trouble. He's a source of problems. Look at chapter 15. Proverbs 15 and verse 19, The way of the slothful man is as an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. When you have a bad attitude about a job, the job is harder. It's like a hedge of thorns. You just see all the negative aspects of it. But when you're a righteous man, you have the right attitude, the Lord makes the way plain. You just blow through it. David said, by my God, I have run through a troop, and by my God, I've leaped over a wall. Now you can do that with your jobs. I don't care what your job is. For right now, it's the calling that God has given you. Be excited about it. And if you're unemployed or you're underemployed, then get fully employed and then you'll have a calling. And then and apply yourself to it. It's how you serve the Lord Christ. Jesus was a worker. The Lord God of heaven's a worker. And He loves His children being workers. And He wants us to put this world to shame that doesn't believe in hard work anymore. Especially this generation. And especially this nation. Oh, there's so many verses. Look at 18... And verse 9, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 9, here's two brothers. They're fraternal twins. They're brothers. He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. You know, hardworking people look at those who waste their money and they get upset at them because they know how hard, how much hard work it takes to get stuff. But then they watch somebody waste it. But you know what? A waster and a lazy guy are the same. They're from the same family. They're both sins and they're both wrong in the sight of God. God doesn't want us to waste what we earn. He wants us to take good care of it and He wants us to work hard to get stuff. And so the Bible teaches us. Look at chapter 19. 
Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 15. As soon as Paul gives us the words, not slothful in business, do you know that he opens up the book of Proverbs to us? Do you know that in the New Testament there is no instruction to spank your children? Children. I just saw, I just saw a bunch of children become very engaged with me. There's no instruction in the New Testament to spank your children. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Can you find a rod in that verse, children? No, but as soon as it says fathers and children and bring them up, it takes you right back to the book of Proverbs, and that's how the two Testaments fit together. And so as soon as Paul said, not slothful in business, we go find where the word slothful is used, and we go find where business is dealt with, and it's the book of Proverbs and the New Testament before I get done. It'll be the New Testament as well. That's why we're in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs fills out how you're supposed to train children. We have one verse, Ephesians 6.4, Colossians 3.21, but the details are given to us in the book of Proverbs. 19 and 15. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. And there's, you're not supposed to stop that. Somebody that doesn't work doesn't deserve to eat. It's that simple. That's how God thinks. See, it's not how you think, and it's not how our, our government thinks, but this is how God thinks. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. If you get up slowly, and you go to your job unhappy, do you know what it's going to cost you all day? It's going to make you sleepy. But if you jump up, hit the floor, get some water in your face, take a shower, be excited about your job, I'm going to do something that pleases God, and I'm going to be the best, you, you can hit that job with a totally different attitude and you don't tire nearly as fast. Do mothers understand that? Amen. You can have a bad attitude about your all the little things you've got to do at home and it, it seems like they never get done and they're just always there and they're such a burden. But if you have the right attitude, get up and tear into it. Now all my children know exactly what I mean by this. It's one bun at a time. They know exactly what that means. And the only way to get a job done is the next bun. The next bun. That's from owning a restaurant many years ago when we had to cut lots of buns by hand. That was Proverbs 9. Look at twenty-two, twenty-nine. I love the Word of God. Amen. Oh, young men, get excited about this book. Amen. The Lord wants you to be successful. The Lord wants you to have stuff. That is in our lives. Our lives are Him. But He wants us to have stuff while we're living for Him. He wants us to have stuff to share with others that are living for Him. He wants us to have stuff to help the kingdom of heaven. 22 and verse 29, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? See how closely that relates in word to Romans 12, 11? Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. Mean men there are average men. He's not going to be average. He's going to be exceptional because he's diligent. He loves to work. He loves to work hard. He loves to stay focused. He doesn't like to take breaks. He doesn't pace himself. He doesn't saunder to the next task. He moves and gets to it and gets it done. He's diligent. And if you see a man like that, he's going up. That is not your pastor with some work ethic extreme. When he writes proverb commentaries, this is the Bible. And there were men like Jeroboam that Solomon promoted over all of his workmen because Jeroboam, the Bible says, was an industrious young man. He fulfilled this verse. And Solomon promoted him because of it, even though the Lord used that man later against him. 
There's so many other places we could look. Come over with me to First uh, Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Our, your job isn't the only part of your life. For those of you that have been around, you know that a mighty man's life consists of ten parts, and your job is only one of them. But it's a large one of them, and it's an important one of them. And I am not going to waste the time today to try to give you balance. Because I've given you balance before. I want to use these four words to remind you that when you prepare to go to work tomorrow and you actually go to work tomorrow, you're the best that you can be. First Timothy 6, verse 1, Let as many servants as are under the yoke, bond servants, count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. See why we work hard? This is one of the reasons that nobody can say, look at that Christian how lazy they are. Look at that Christian looking for a handout. Look at that Christian with his hands in his pockets. What do they do all day? That's a disgrace to Christianity. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them. If you were a servant and your master was also converted, you shouldn't despise him because he's a church member with you because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved. If you should serve an unconverted pagan master, you should serve a converted master even better. You're partakers of the benefit. But notice, it doesn't get rid of slavery. If you're a slave and you have a master, whether the master's a pagan or the master's a Christian, you remain a slave. You say, you're preaching something that's not very correct these days. I don't care if it's correct or not these days. These are the old paths, and this is the Word of God, and this makes the world go around a whole lot better than it is right now. I'm pretty upset right now. Did you know that in the Drudge Report for the last 48 hours, it's reported that only 47% of the adults in America have a full-time job. What is going to happen to a country where they spend money like 470% of the adults have a full-time job, but only 47% of them have a full-time job. Romans 12:11 fits us just perfect. Amen. At a time like this. Look at this first Timothy chapter 6. God doesn't care if you're a slave under the yoke of a master, whether that master is pagan or a Christian, and he doesn't have a word in here about that Christian master letting you go free. There isn't a word in here. That's a disruption of society. That's a bird wandering from her nest. That is dangerous for society. If you can be made free, if you can work for enough years, if you can save up enough money to buy your freedom, then go ahead and use it. But I want you to understand that authority in the workplace and diligence in the workplace and serving with all worthy of all honor is God's doctrine. And we don't ever want to violate God's doctrine for working hard. Look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. These are from the four words, not slothful in business. Be diligent. There's 168 hours in a week. That's a time to get a lot done. And we better get a lot done. He's a God of productivity. And He's going to measure us by how much we produced. Titus chapter 2 in one of the measures of our lives. Verse 9. Exhort servants. This is what I'm supposed to teach. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. And to please them well in all things. Notice the language that is used here. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. And here's how you can do that. Here are some specifics. 
Not answering again. Don't you ever talk back to your boss. You want to go up God's way? Don't talk back to your boss. Not purloining. Purloining is an old word that means small thefts on the job. That means you're stealing a little bit of time here and there to call your wife. That means you're taking a ream of paper home because your kids could use some for school. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. They can trust you with anything that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Remember in 1 Timothy 6 it was so that the word of God is not blasphemed. In here, its servants can adorn the doctrine. You don't need to be a master to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You just need to be a good servant. Isn't that exciting? That's why it fits in Romans 12, 11. Right. You can adorn the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by people finding out he's a Christian. That explains why he works so hard. That explains why he never talks back to the boss. That explains why he cheerfully does the worst jobs in this department. This is your sanctification. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is part of being holy, is working a professional calling and doing it well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verses 1 and 2 so that you can get a framework for the chapter. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Get better and better at this. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. This is how we please God. This is His good and acceptable and perfect will for your life. Verse 11. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. There's two reasons why you should work hard, so that you can give an honest reputation and character to the world, and so that you'll have stuff. So you'll have lack of nothing. That means you have stuff. And then verse 11 is telling you how to do it. To be quiet. Not to be a busybody in other people's matters. Not to be thinking, but to be engaged in something with your hands. To do your own business. And to work with your own hands. And it's a commandment of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our religion includes this. This is not all our religion. But our religion includes this. That we work hard. The people that are underemployed have always given churches the most trouble because they have too much time to think. If they were gainfully employed, they wouldn't be interrupting relationships and they wouldn't be thinking their worthless thoughts. We need to be working. It saves us from so much trouble. That's why the Bible says it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Get them working. An early job is one of the best ways to teach maturity and responsibility and to get people's minds off themselves. You can't let a child sit in their bedroom daydreaming. It's going to be trouble. They need to be out working. They need to be productive. They need to be around adults. They need to have expectations from them. They need to be getting up at a certain time. They need to be meeting a schedule. They need to be performing a job a certain way. And when they're corrected, they've got to do it the different way, the better way. It'll save young men. It'll save old men. The Lord wants us to work. Not slothful in business is what Romans 12.11 is teaching us. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. Ephesians 4.28. What was the lazy nation in the New Testament? There was a lazy nation. See, the Bible doesn't have anything about generalities about certain kinds of people. There's no problem with that in the Bible. Crete was a bunch of lazy people. Who? What was the lazy church in the New Testament? A church that didn't want to work hard. Does anybody, you should know it. The Thessalonians. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is about how lazy they were. Ephesians chapter 4. Sometimes thieves would get converted. And here's what the apostle had to say to them. Verse 28 of Ephesians 4. Let him that stole steal no more. Now some people would just say, well, that's good enough as long as he doesn't steal anymore. No, it's not. It's only part of his life. But rather, instead of stealing, let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, instead of stealing which is bad, that he may have to give to him that needeth. See, you've got to work hard enough not only to supply your own stuff, but you've got to have enough to supply stuff for others. And you've got to work hard enough to have stuff for your children's children. Because a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. This is all in the Word of God. It's all been taught before. It can all be reviewed very easily. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And let's find out about the lazy church in the New Testament. They were getting, you know, let's put, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and as much charity as we can. They were getting too worked up about the Lord coming back imminently, anytime. So they decided we don't need to work. We just need to hang around each other and wait for the Lord to bust through the ceiling and take us home. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. And that's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 wrote, and he said, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by forged letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. It is not at hand. Get to work. Chapter 3 and verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 we use often to show that churches should separate from public sinners. And we, we read the verse, we read the verse and it says, withdraw yourselves from that brother, get away from him, because he's not keeping the tradition which he got from the apostles, and so we're thinking, murder! We're thinking, adultery! No. Let's keep reading. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. This is disorderly conduct. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. We bought all the bread we ate, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, We have authority as the apostles of Jesus Christ for you to supply everything we need to eat. But to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us, an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Stop talking. Get off the cell phone. Get off the internet. Get off your texting. Get busy. Is what the apostle taught. And that's the disorderly conduct of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Everyone wishes it was rubbing Buddha's belly, but really it's just going to work and being lazy tomorrow. Or it's not going to work. And thinking that you have a right to bread even though you didn't earn it. Lord, teach us the sobriety of your gospel. Because that's what we want. God's standards are high. In the Old Testament, what did the poor have to do to get bread? Glean. Glean. So farmers were told, when you're cutting your square field, do it in a circle so that the corners are left, so that the poor can go out there, pick it up by hand, process it a little bit, and make a little bit of bread. See? They had to work. When Ruth and Naomi, two widows, came back, did the two widows show up in a church and ask for a handout? It never crossed their minds. 
The two widows got back from Moab to the land of Israel, and Ruth said, I'll go glean for us, Naomi. She said, good girl. Did the Lord take care of her while she was gleaning? Oh, yes. Did she always have to glean? Oh, no. Did Boaz took care of her for the rest of her life and took care of Naomi? He was a mighty man and not of valor. He was a mighty man in capital and assets. And that's how the Lord takes care of His people. You know, the book of Proverbs, chapter 20 and verse 4, teaches the same thing, that if a lazy son will not help plant and help harvest, that even though there's an abundance of food, because remember, a farming, an agricultural society has the maximum amount of food right after harvest, and it says, even when you have the maximum amount of food, you do not give that guy anything. Because he didn't want to participate in that harvest. Productivity is a measure of a Christian. Oh, let's go to work tomorrow and be excited about our jobs. There's no mercy in the Bible for those who do not do all that they might possibly do. And that's why Paul called the the Cretans in Titus chapter 1 and verse 12, they are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. Lazy bums. You say, that's a generalization. You bet it is, and I love them. And they're generally true. And they're in the Bible. This profane generation thinks that life is for fun. Work should be easy and work should be short. That is, an, that is turning things upside down that God intended. Work is fun. You know what our society thinks? Work is a necessary evil to get to the fun part of life. Uh-uh. That's not in the Bible. First of all, you can't find the word F-U-N. Fun's not in there. Your work is your calling. It's some, it's a place where God has placed you in society where you can be productive and help the rest of society. You want to be excited about it. It is your fun. You say you're sick. No. It's, it's all, it's all up here. It's your attitude. You have a role that God's given you. Enjoy it. And you know, we've got so many different roles in this church. When you stop and think about the different things that happen, you know, there are, there are, iPhone applications being thought about for cars and there are windshields being put into cars. And there are people driving cars that don't put in windshields or work on iPhone applications. And it covers the whole church. It's a calling. And that calling is our fun. You say, well, does that mean I never get to play? Well, if you need to play a little tiny bit every day just so that you can work hard the next day, I hope you heard exactly what I said then there might be a place for it. But we can't find very much of it in the Bible. Not slothful in business. This profane generation that we live in, did you hear that number I just threw out? 47% of adults have a full-time job, 53% don't. This country is history. I just want to remind every single one of you, Every one of you are going to stand before God and give an account of your lives as to how hard you worked. And he doesn't care about retirement laws of your company. He doesn't care about disability laws of our nation. He doesn't care about any of that. If we made our decisions based on the marriage laws of this nation, would we divorce freely in this church? Because this nation allows divorces. God doesn't care about the disability laws of our country. God cares about how diligent you are. And that means getting up and going to work even when it hurts sometimes. 
It's a it's right for a Christian to work. We always want to have God's perspective on it. We don't we don't want to be conformed to this world. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right now, this country will let you get away with anything. You can fudge just about anything. But we not we can't do that. We can't take advantage of those laws. We have to be honest. We have to show all good fidelity. We have to be diligent and faithful in our callings and find those callings and be diligent in them. God doesn't care about your desire to take it easy. And He's not going to let the mercy principle cover that sin. Your life shouldn't be structured to have fun. Your life should be structured to be diligent, energetic, and productive. Your work is your calling and you should value it highly and do it the best you can as to the Lord. It's a wonderful privilege. And every one of your jobs is useful. Amen. And God sees it that way. Even when a man was a slave, he's the Lord's freeman. And he should stay there and do his job well. Even if that master was pagan or Christian, it didn't matter. He had a calling and he was called by the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the two senses of calling in 1 Corinthians 7.22? He should stay in that calling and be diligent. Every one of you, hear me and me, Every one of you and me will give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ as to how diligent you were. And He will not listen to any of the excuses that this country accepts. He doesn't care if it hurts. We all hurt. Men have always hurt. Those farmers that went before us that milk cows seven days a week, 365 days a year, twice a day, three times a day, year in, year out. They didn't have vacations. They didn't have 401Ks. They worked, they worked, they worked. They were faithful. Whether they were with a herd, whether they were with a flock, whether they were with a field, or whether they were in a bank, they worked. And it's a pleasure. And God gave us the energy to do it. And if our and if our hearts are right in the matter, He makes the way plain. It's when our hearts are not right that up comes a hedge of thorns and we think that just looks impossible. Then we start daydreaming. Well, there's a lion in the streets. I just can't do it. There's no lion out there. There's something everybody almost can do. And that's between you and the Lord. Because He's not going to care about this country. You know, if you go get a divorce in this church, I don't care what the nation, what the laws of this nation say. Are you with me in trying to separate between what the nation says is okay and what the Bible says is not okay? Amen. We can't get a divorce because the nation says it's okay to get a divorce. Right. We're going to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ based on what the Bible says. And what the Bible says, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Right. Are there some divorces in this church that can be justified by a Bible? Yes. I'm not undoing that. But everything is going to come back to this book and no other book. And it's not going to come back to what you think. It's not going to come back to you think it was too hard. It's going to come back to, I gave you opportunities. I gave you health. I gave you strength. You could have done something. And if we don't, we're guilty. And if we have a lot of energy and a lot of strength, then He expects more out of us. And we should we should want to give it. And we should be excited about giving it. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. If you want to, if you want to hear a full-blown explanation of a Christian's work ethic, then go punch those words into the little magnifying glass in the toolbar of our website. Work ethic. And up will come a, a 14-page outline preached several years ago about a Christian work ethic. 
in every aspect that I could pull out of the Word of God for all of us. Work is a wonderful thing. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. And we should be thankful to God for the ability to do it. He was a worker. The Lord Jesus Christ was a worker. And the, the great men of the Bible were all ferocious workers. And we want to be the same way. Yeah. Romans twelve eleven, the second phrase, fervent in spirit. That means zeal. Fervent, fervent is a word describing heat. You know about the word fervent from Second Peter chapter 3 where it says that in the day of the Lord, the heavens are going to melt with fervent heat. It means hot, white hot, boiling hot. And so we want to be on fire. See, that's an expression you understand. We want to be on fire. Let's first of all apply it to our jobs. Are you getting jacked up to go to work tomorrow? To be on fire. To get in there walking. Listen, when uh, when uh, Sherry and I opened a business back there 15, 20 years ago, whenever it was, it was it was 1994, so I guess it was 19 years ago, we would have already made a decision to hire based on how a person got out of their car before they made it to the door of the restaurant. Amen. It's that easy. I don't care what they wrote down because I don't care about their words. I don't care what they said. I don't care what their smile was like. It's what kind of a motor did they have. Did they get out of that car and hit the pavement and get to that front door and grab that front door? And you know what? Some of them were as, some of them were as big as mountains and some of them were as skinny as, as uh, weeds, but it didn't matter. They worked. Because it's that simple. You can't saunter to your job. What are you doing? Saving energy for something? Get to it! Oh, it, Oh, I was, I was taught that a whole lot earlier than Schlotsky's Deli. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. And there's an old man in this assembly that gets to sit and smile at some boys that finally caught on. Amen. And I'm thankful for all that. But I want you to be thankful and I want you to be excited tomorrow and I want you to look at the second phrase and think about being fervent in spirit. The Lord does not want us to be average, normal, lackadaisical, lethargic, calm, Christians. He wants us to be on fire, fervent in spirit. Now, if you want to apply this to your job, I say amen. But I'm not going to let you limit it to your job only because we ought to be fervent in spirit and everything. And this is surrounded by two semicolons and there's no conjunctions coordinating the two together. It should apply to everything we do as a Christian. If you're a wife, be white hot for it. You mean you want me to be a hot wife? You got it. And I mean that two ways. You want to be fervent in spirit about everything we do. This is the Bible's choice of words. Look at this jam-packed section of Romans chapter 12. It lights me up. I've got three words enclosed in semicolons. Fervent in spirit. That means to be zealous. That means to be Zach-like. Oh, I just set a bar high for you. So you got to be that way. Zach, oh brother, and the Bible has this word fervent, and there's many uses of it in the Bible, and it means the same thing wherever we find it. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Passionate prayer, intense prayer, enthusiastic prayer, a burdened prayer, a convicted prayer, not just mouthing words. That's not going to get the Lord to answer. He wants a fervent prayer. The Apollos in Acts chapter 18 was fervent in the Spirit. And so as soon as he was converted by Aquila and Priscilla and he passed over into Achaia, he lit the place up. The next time we read about him is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where the Corinthians were separating themselves based on Paul, Peter, Jesus, and there was one other. Do you remember his name? Apollos. Oh, 
<laughs> yes, and if you want to go test out uh, zeal, just type zeal into that little magnifying glass. Thank you, brother, for giving me a review tool that this whole church can use, that I use, that's wonderful. Just type in the word zeal in that little magnifying glass on the toolbar, and you can read for pages about the Bible's emphasis on zeal. What is zeal? what is fervent? It means of persons, their passions and their dispositions, and their action, it's ardent. It's intensely earnest. It's full of love or hatred. It's zeal. It's devotion. It's aspiration. What is zeal? It's intense ardor in the pursuit of some end. Passionate eagerness. Enthusiasm as displayed in action. What is ardor? Heat of passion or desire. Vehemence. Ardent desire. Warmth of emotion. Fervor. Eagerness. Enthusiasm. These synonyms just they are precious. It's like taking vitamins. But we're preaching from God's Word. Three words. Fervent in spirit. Fervent. That is not sincere. It is high energy. It is intense. It is enthusiastic. It is hot. It is passionate. It is aroused. That's how we want to live as Christians. That's how we want to work on the job. That's how we want to sing in this church. That's how we want to do everything. The Bible uses these combinations, and I quote, vehement desire, vehement flame, spirit was stirred, burning fire, heartily, heart was lifted up, and with all his heart, and so forth. Do you fit that description? I know we get cast down sometimes, and the, and the world the world does not get lit up about a job that you know what they're going to be like on a Monday morning after a holiday weekend. I remember well. It's going to take several cups of coffee, and it'll be ten thirty before they can even get moving. I, I said moving. They'll be sitting at their desk in a hungover, comatose type state in some businesses, and that's not how Christians are. They blow through that door. They get in there because they're doing it as to the Lord. They're doing it for the Lord. They're adorning the Lord's gospel. The Lord has commanded them to do it. He's given them reasons to do it. He's given them energy to do it. He picked a job for them. A calm paced demeanor may indicate that the furnace has gone out and the zeal is a foreign word. Calm consistency may be good if you have no zeal, but it is no substitute for zeal. Show me the great men of the Bible. There wasn't anything calm about them. Show me a David in the Bible. David wasn't calm. David was crazy. David was, David was an overachiever. And that's what we want to think about when we think about the words fervent in spirit and overachiever. David was going way beyond the call of duty. The house of the Lord must be exceeding magnificent. I have to gather everything that I can. I'll use every friend. I'll use every contact. I will get my cedars out of Lebanon. I will do everything I can possibly do. That was David. When he went to meet Goliath, did he saunter to Goliath? Did he wait for Goliath to come to him? He ran to him. Why did he take five stones? Because he was of a calm demeanor? Because he was full of zeal. I hope his four brothers will show up to this little battle because I'll take all five down. That's David. His whole life. How about Jehu? He drove his chariot furiously. Jezebel poked her head out of a third-story window when he came into Samaria. And he said, is there anyone on my side? And some eunuchs looked out. Two or three eunuchs looked out. That's the Holy Spirit's choice of words. Two or three eunuchs looked out. He said, throw her down. They threw her down. He trampled her under his horse. You know what the Lord said about Jehu when he was done purging Israel and Judah of Baal worship? 
because he has done so well in executing that which is perfect in my sight. Because right. he was full of zeal. He drove his chariot. Everything he did was, was with furious zeal. When, when he wanted to get Baal worship out of Samaria, you know, he called for that great feast to Baal. And he went into the house of Baal and he offered a sacrifice to Baal. You know, there's, there's, a, there's so many that would just be squeamish about doing that, but not Jehu. He offered a sacrifice to Baal. And he said, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu's going to serve Baal much. I want every Baal worshiper in Israel in this temple. I'm going to outserve Ahab in serving Baal. He got every single Baal worshiper in there. He said, look among yourselves and make sure there's no worshiper of Jehovah in here. We don't want him to mess up our worship. Now put these robes on, my brothers. We're going to worship. And then he told his army, if you let one of these men escape, it'll be your life for his. And he killed them all. And what did he do to the temple of Baal? He turned it into a draft house. Do you need help on that word? That is a public toilet. Remember, Jesus said what goes in the mouth comes out in the draft. It's a sewer. He turned the... Why am I off on Jehu? Because I'm saving you the time of looking up the outline. He was full of zeal. What about the Lord Jesus Christ? You say, I don't like Jehu. Well, you want to try the Lord Jesus Christ on? Was he fervent in spirit? When he made himself a scourge, that is a wooden handle with leather thongs coming out of it, and drove money, he took the time to make himself a scourge. And then he kicked over their tables and he drove the money changers out of the temple and he told them that they were making his father's house of prayer into a den of thieves. What verse was fulfilled and what verse did the Holy Spirit impress upon the minds of the apostles as they stood there in shock at Jesus of Nazareth doing that in Jerusalem? He was a country boy from Nazareth. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Psalm 69 and verse 9. John chapter 2 and verse 13. And the apostles were given immediate understanding of that text that they had just seen it fulfilled before them because that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He would preach from morning till night. He would heal everyone that was brought to Him. He would stand on a ship and and ask them to to take it out a little bit from shore so that He could dress in a large audience. And He would boldly preach to them all day. Another day, another day, until he would have to make the food for them to keep them around because they were starving. That's the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What about the Apostle Paul? He labored more abundantly than they all. He made fun of every other minister at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 10 through 14, that they measured themselves by themselves and among themselves, and they were not wise in doing so, and he was better than all of them. That they had taken advantage of things he had made ready to their hands, but he was preaching in areas beyond Corinth that had never heard the gospel before. That's zeal. The Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus, full of zeal. He was already faithful to the Lord as much as he understood. And the Lord just converted him. And with the help of Ananias, he was baptized. And they set him down in the city of Damascus. He went straight into the synagogue and preached Christ. Zeal. You young men that gather in this back room in the mornings and you want to jump in there and pray, I commend and thank God for your zeal. Amen. It encourages me. It encourages the Lord. Lord, help us. The Christian life is like a race and there's only one way to win it. There's only one way to run it. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, they that run the race run all, but how many win the prize? One. So run that ye may obtain. Paul does not care about second place. Paul thought second place stunk. You want to do the very best that you can do. 
You want to be tempered in all things so that you can apply yourself with fervent passion and zeal for the things of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your job, whether it's worship in this church. Fervent in spirit. I have seen some calm Christians recently. And I'm very convicted because it's all by God's providential timing that I get this text. I want to be around Christians on fire. I want them to be stoking me and I want to stoke them. Life is too short to live it any other way. The Lord's coming. We're going to stand before Him. I want to give a good account. I want to be zealous like Jehu, David, Paul, and Jesus. I want you to all be that way. Amen. You need to lay aside every weight. Everything in your life that's slowing you down. Everything that's heavy. Get it off. Hebrews 12, 1-3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. Now that's zeal. When you just despise shame. He mocked it. He ran His race. And He gave us the example of how we ought to run ours. Brethren, we live in a time where men are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, so we don't meet very many that are fervent in spirit for the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 24 tells us that when iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. We don't want cold love. We don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be red hot. And we need to help each other be red hot. That is why we come in here. And every one of you that sit around a warm foam rubber and don't participate to the degree that you could and you should, you hurt us all. We want to be a flaming church for the Lord Jesus Christ. Red hot. He hates lukewarm. He hates those who lose their first love. We're all tempted to lose our first love. Can't do it. Serving the Lord. The last phrase, we want to bring it all to bear that we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what you're doing. If you're on the job, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 3 with me. Colossians chapter 3. And let's first, very quickly, tie it to working so that we're making all three apply to employment. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, we mean on the job, serving the Lord. See, it's three words again. Serving the Lord. Sandwiched by semicolons. What's it talking about? Well, first, let's look at it relative to employment. Second, everything we do. We're serving the Lord. Whether we live, we are the Lord's. Whether we die, we are the Lord's. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So we do it all to the Lord. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. You can get fervent in spirit and do everything to the Lord. I'm sorry for every bit of, every bit of righteous offense that you had about me taking delight in strawberries. And I'm not going to say anything more than that, but I want to tell you something. I want to serve the Lord in everything that goes in my mouth. I want to serve the Lord by everything that comes out of my mouth. Right. Everything. Did you hear the psalm this morning? Did Psalm 147 address every part of our lives? Did it address legs? Did it address Usain Bolt of the nation of Jamaica and his effort to take the 100 meters and the 200 meters in the world championships that will be run in Moscow in the month of August? Did it mention that? Did it, was it in there somewhere? Everything is there. Serving the Lord. They don't serve the Lord. But you know what? We can look, we can stop and look back at any one of them and we realize that the little tiny micro, that the few little hundreds of a second that separate first place from second place from third place, do you know who made that difference? The God of heaven did. Just like he made a difference between Usain Bolt and a leopard, except it's not hundreds of seconds. (laughs) Do you know how much a, do you know how much a leopard works out? Do you know how many steroids a leopard takes? 
Have you ever seen a leopard that took human growth hormone? You know, all a leopard ever does is stretch. Have you ever watched him? And then go back down for another nap. Can a cat jump from the floor to the top of a refrigerator with nothing but stretching? And that stretching between naps. That's my God. That's your God. That's the God of Psalm 147. I'm sorry, Eric, but it, I enjoyed everything you said. Amen. If you'd have kept going until 10 o'clock, you'd have saved me from being late. Amen. Lord, we want to serve you in everything. Colossians chapter 3, look at this, about the job. Verse 22, follow with me. You've, you've read these before. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. See, there are, there's, there's good things about the flesh. The flesh means our bodily, physical existence in this world. We have a job to go do tomorrow. And we want to do it well. And there is nothing wrong about it. In fact, this is full-time Christian service, as I'm about to show you. There are churches that teach in the, from, with the expression, full-time Christian service, that for you to be a real Christian, you have to be a pastor or a missionary or a piano player. Oh, isn't that confusion? Amen. But that's what they call full-time Christian service. Watch this. Servants. You're not even an employee. You're a servant. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And Caleb, when you go to work tomorrow, obey in all things. Because it says so. And everyone else in here. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. You're not just doing it to be seen by men as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. You have one overriding motive, and that is to please God and to fear God. I started out a little while ago with Ecclesiastes 12:13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Here's how you fear God. You go to work tomorrow with only one motive. I am going to please God walking through these doors. I'm going to do it to the Lord. Not to be seen by men. Not to get a promotion. I'm going to let the Lord promote me. I'm going to do it for the Lord. But in singleness of heart, you have one overriding motive. Because you're fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Does that sound like fervent in spirit? Do it heartily. As to the Lord and not unto men. If, if anything is worth doing, it's worth doing the best you can do it. If anything is worth doing, it's worth doing with all your might. And this is worth doing because God said it was worth doing. And whatsoever ye do, but notice the context that we're in right here, and whatsoever ye do on that job, it's a job in the department that no one else wants, and you've been assigned because you say yes, sir. When the boss asks you to do it, go do it heartily. Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Forget some little pay increase they can give you, for ye serve the Lord Christ on the job tomorrow, at BMW, in your own business, at Costco. You can serve the Lord. You can serve the Lord Christ. This is full-time Christian service. This is as close as you can get to that expression in the New Testament. On your job, at IBM. Or whatever it's called nowadays. I'm sorry. I get so confused about some of those things over there. At Clemson for Simplex. What a privilege. Right here. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. So we're doing it as unto the Lord. And we're doing it heartily. Whatever they give us to do. But now notice what it says in verse 25. But he that doeth wrong. If you don't work this way in the job tomorrow. 
He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. God doesn't care what you think of you. God doesn't care what anyone else thinks of you. God doesn't care what your employer thinks of you. God does not care what the laws of this nation think of you. Have you put out like you should have for the Lord? If you don't, you will receive for the wrong. If you do, you will be rewarded. And this is how we serve the Lord Christ. We can do it on the job. We can do it with everything we do. Wives, the Bible says, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Make that man next to you the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, it's impossible for me to think that way. No, no, it isn't. When we had a restaurant, I often encouraged the boys to look at every sandwich as if the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come in there, put it in two hands, raise it up to eye level, and take it apart one one mouthful at a time, and it better be made the way that it's supposed to be made. Everything should be done as unto the Lord. Everything. Every shelf that is stocked at Costco, everything that is done at Costco, every customer that is talked to should be done as if that were the Lord Jesus Christ that walked in off the street and you were taking care of Him. And you run and you go and you do it and you're fast and you're efficient and you're pleasant and you're cheerful and you're thankful and you do it heartily. Wives, you can do that tomorrow by submitting to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You can do it as to the Lord being a, a good child. Civil rulers... They are messengers, ministers of God sent to us, our civil rulers, and so we obey them. In practicing liberty, we do it unto the Lord. And anything else we do, I've already given that verse, whether therefore you eat or drink, eating or drinking? Eating or drinking? Oh, yes. Are you thankful for the abundance that we have? Are you thankful for the variety that we have? Are you thankful for the health that you have? Are you thankful for God's provision that you have? On and on we could go. And the, yes, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. This is not being conformed to the world. They do it for completely different motives. They don't do it the right way. We are transforming our minds by the renewing of them through the Word of God that we will walk tomorrow, that walk the rest of this day in a way that's pleasing to Him. Brethren, let's help one another. The reason we have a church is to help each of us to be diligent in our businesses, fervent in our spirits, and always serving the Lord. Right. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.